This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, well, good morning again. How are you guys doing so far today? Good? Hey, I, I hope you're excited to be here as we kick off a brand new series called Search, where we're going to talk about some of life's greatest questions uh, that people have. Now, normally, you guys know we like to have fun. We believe that church should be enjoyed, not endured. Today, I just want to kind of throw this out there. It's going to be a little bit uh, heavier than normal because we're diving into probably the greatest question right from the beginning that people have about God, and that is, you know, if God's so good, right, why is it that bad things happen to good people? And it's been asked in in so many different kinds of ways. People will say, if God was so good, why is there so much evil? If God was so good, you know, why would there be so much cruelty uh, in the world, so much suffering, so much pain? People would even say, you know, I have a hard time believing in God because of all the evil, all the cruelty that, that we, we, we experience. And so the question that we're going to tackle today uh, really has, has um, kind of gotten in the way of so many people fully believing in God because they have a distorted image, just a distorted view of who God is. So we're going to talk about that question today. Why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, here's what you should know. Just a, a few weeks ago, um, I had this conversation with a gentleman right outside in our lobby, and he came up to me and he said, Colby, I have a hard time believing in God because he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care. And so obviously he wanted to talk. Obviously he had experienced a lot of pain in his life. And you know how sometimes people that have experienced a lot of pain, they can have a little bit of an edge to them because hurt people, you know, hurt people. And so obviously he had, he had experienced a lot of pain. And I said, you know, well, tell me about that. Tell me why, why you believe that God doesn't care. And he just opened up. And I mean, it just, it, it poured out from him. He told me about when he was younger and as a child, he prayed and prayed and asked God to heal his mom who was dying and God didn't do it as a little boy. And then why God had, uh, you know, been so cruel for him and his brother to experience abuse even growing up. And he, he started telling me all this stuff that happened and my heart literally just, just sank. And he said, Colby, it's really hard for me to believe. It's really hard for me to overcome and trust God when I don't even feel like he cares. Why would he let that happen? Why would he let my mom die? Why would he let us go through that if he was a good and loving God? And the chances are many of you have asked the same questions. Maybe you've overcome that. Maybe you're right in the middle this moment today of asking those questions, you know, saying, hey, I prayed for this, I prayed for that, and I know God could do it, but he's not doing it, and so it's really hard for me to believe in a God who doesn't seem 
to care. I think many of us have been there. In fact, you could just turn on the news, right? And you can see just another act of violence, another senseless uh, racist shooting. This, this week, you know, we, we celebrate um, the, the 50 years since the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King because he stood against violence. He stood against inequality and, and uh, injustice, the things that he stood for. But we look at events like that and say, why? If you were a good God, a loving God, why? Look at the, the Holocaust, right? The genocide of six million Jews. God, if you're so good, why would you allow that kind of pain and suffering? Or we look at natural kind of uh, events. We look at the tsunami that killed 230,000 people. You know, in, back in December, I think 2004, we look at hurricanes, we look at the mass destruction in the world. We're like, God, we have a really hard time wrapping our mind around the fact that you're good when it seems like there's so much pain in this world. I bet if you look down your rows right now, down the right and the left, there are probably one to two or even three people on your row right now who've experienced some kind of significant abuse in their life. And maybe that's you, or maybe you know that person, and you're like, God, if you really loved us, why would we go through that? I know there's couples in this room today that you've been praying and begging God for a, a baby to get pregnant. And it's not happening, and time and time again, you, you beg God, while on the, the other end of things, you see people having babies that don't even want them. And you're like, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Maybe it's something simple, right? You've been asking God to take away a migraine that you've, that you've had your, your whole life, or maybe you've been praying over your child. The reality is we've all had these questions at some point in our life. God, why do bad things happen to good people? How can I trust you? How can I believe in you if you allow all this kind of pain and suffering? And if you've ever felt that way, let me just tell you, you are not alone. A lot of times we will open God's word and look at these characters in the Bible that really seem larger than life, right? And we're like, man, they're, they're, so, they're super Christians. They're, they're just unbelievable, the faith that they have, and not really recognizing that they were people just like you and me, that they had questions just like you and me. They had doubts just like you and me. They were searching for, for answers. They had very real emotions. Go down the list. David, right, a man after God's own heart. Uh, King David, who wrote the majority of the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, just open up one, you're gonna see him crying out in frustration to God, God, where are you? Like, what, why is this happening to me? Why are my enemies coming against me? Do you not care? Do you not hear? Are you not listening? Uh, look, at, look at the book of Job. Like, oh my dang, you know, right? Like, here's a guy who was righteous above anyone. The devil attacked him and like, took away everything from him, his, his, his livestock, his career. Uh, you know, he, he had boils and sores all over his body, messed with his family. Um, his friends were jerk faces. His friends were like worthless. His wife even at one point said, hey, Job, you should just curse God and die. Awesome, thanks, honey, for the support. If anyone could have asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? It's Job, it's Job. The one, though, that messes me up more than any, really, and I don't know why it plays with my head so much, is, is John the Baptist. If you know anything about John the Baptist, maybe you're not a church person, you don't know his history, he was the cousin of Jesus. That means, you know, they were family, they were relatives, they'd get together on like the 4th of July, Memorial Day weekend, they kind of hang out. 
Not really, but they would hang out during their own Jewish festivals. They would get together. They, they were family. But John realized the purpose that, that God had for his life one day. And he started pointing the way to Jesus. He started telling people, hey, there's someone coming. The Messiah's coming. He's devoted his life to telling people about, about Jesus. In fact, he would say, repent of your sins, be baptized, you know, and follow that guy. Even when Jesus came along, he was a very humble man. John was like, hey, don't follow me, like follow him. That's the guy you've been looking for. John said, I'm not, I'm not even fit. I'm not worthy to lace his LeBrons, basically. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes on his feet. Like, that's the guy you need to follow. And John the Baptist was ultimately arrested uh, for doing the right thing, by the way. And so he's in prison and he's gotta be thinking, it's good, I'm okay. After all, Jesus, he's my cousin, you know? Like we're boys, and I know what he can do. He's healed, he's healed the sick, he's, he's caused the blind to see, he's, he's threw open prison gates, right? I know what he can do, I'm not worried in the least. And you can imagine John the Baptist was kind of picturing in his mind how this rescue from Jesus was gonna go down. He's like, one day he's gonna show up. There's gonna be like 10 angels. They're gonna be the biggest, baddest angels. He's gonna see all the bad guys and go, poof, you have hemorrhoids. Poof, you have a, a lip fungus they ain't identified yet. Poof, you got, uh, that's Christmas vacation, by the way. Like, I, I don't know, just play with me. And he's imagining this rescue, that they're gonna come, they're gonna throw open the, the prison gates. The lightning's gonna flash, the smoke's gonna kind of fill the room, the music's gonna swell, and Jesus is gonna be standing there. What's up, cousin? Fist bump. Big hero six. Sorry, I lost half of you. But John waits. He's like, it's gonna be sick. It's gonna be awesome. Just wait for it. We're gonna get rescued. I'm not worried about it. He's my cousin. And he waits. He's like, don't worry, he's coming. And he waits and he waits until finally he says, where are you? Till finally he sends someone else, says, go ask Jesus, are you really the one that is gonna save us, is gonna rescue us? If not, should we be expecting someone else? In other words, I know you could do this, so why aren't you? And it's the same question many of us in this room have asked. God, I know that you could, but why aren't you? What happened? Here's what I'm not gonna do uh, today. I'm not gonna try to defend God. He doesn't need me to do that. I'm not gonna offer you cheap answers for expensive questions. I'm not gonna insult your intelligence and try to just simply explain the pain away, explain the hurt away. I'm not gonna pretend like I know what you're going through because the reality is I don't. Some of you have experienced some things in this room that is unbelievable, unbelievably tragic. It would break my heart to hear some of your stories. I'm not gonna do that. What I am going to do today that I, I believe takes way more faith and that is to point you to a a good God, and understand that no matter what you're facing, he is ultimately good, and that you can trust him in whatever it is that you are going through, that he will be enough for you. And again, it takes way more, more faith 
And so I want to give you three big ideas if you want to jot these things down. Three, three truths that you can hold on to and remember when you ask the questions. When you face times of testing, when you face the fire, you ask God, why do bad things happen to good people? If you're taking notes, the first one is this. God always has a purpose in your pain. Now, just because you don't see it in the middle of it, just because you can't feel it, just because you're, you're, you can't even maybe believe it, you need to take comfort in the fact that ultimately God is good and God is sovereign and he will never waste a hurt that's in your life. And just because you're hurting doesn't mean that he is not working. In fact, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all these troubles. In other words, there's, there's something better. There's a purpose behind this pain. There's a purpose behind this trouble that I'm facing. He goes on to say, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but instead on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And when we look through the, the endless lens of eternity, what happens is what seems heavy becomes lighter. When we focus our eyes on eternity, what seems massive becomes momentary in that, in that, in that point in, in our lives right then. Paul is saying, hey, hey, don't focus on what you're going through right now, that there's something behind the pain, that there's a greater purpose, that there's a, a greater plan than we can ever imagine. God has a purpose in the middle of our hard times. I'll explain it to you this way. This, this story might be a little bit disgusting, but that's never stopped me before. Why should it stop me now? Um, there was a bird, little baby birdie, flying south for the winter, true story. And it started to snow, and it started to have freezing rain coming down, and, and this, this bird started to freeze, and his wings started to get ice stuck on, stuck on him, and, and he started to lose, you know, his, his ability to fly, and this little birdie crash lands in this field, and he starts to freeze, and the snow starts to come, and, and ice starts to, to come, and he's piling up, and he's stuck in this, in this field, and he's freezing to death. He's moments away from dying, and he looks up, and he's like... Goodbye, cruel world. True story. And a few minutes later, a cow comes along and stands right over top of this birdie. And I don't know a nice way to put this, but he makes a deposit right on this bird that's, that's about to die. And this bird is like, are you kidding me right now? Here I am, about to freeze to death, and now I have to deal with this 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 bovine that's, that's taking this, you know, dropping manure on me in this moment. But what happened was the warmth of the manure, I know, hang in there, the warmth of, of the manure started to thaw the little birdie out. And his ice, you know, started to, to thaw on his body and he started to flap his wings again. And so he's excited, he's like, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live. And in his joy and excitement, he starts singing, cheep, 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 cheep. And he's singing for, for all of his heart when all of a sudden, one of Satan's minions, a cat, hears the little bird cheeping. And he goes over and finds the little bird, digs him out of the manure, and eats him dead. End of story. Now, there are three morals to that story. 
The first one, not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Not everyone who digs you out of the manure is your friend. And when you are stuck in the middle of the manure, keep your big mouth shut. (laughs) Sometimes we don't see it, but there is a purpose in our pain. And just because you don't want to go through it, just because you wish it would look different in your life, doesn't mean that you are not perfectly positioned right where God wants you to be. So embrace the purpose in the moment that's in your pain. Here's an actual true story. Jesus has an encounter with a blind guy in John chapter nine. And everybody wants to know, why is this guy blind? Why was he born blind? Back in the day, they believed that if there was some sin in your life, that's why you were experiencing this this affliction, this this affirmity or or sin in, in one of your parents' lives. And so everybody's asking, why was he born blind? And it says, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, whose fault is it? Whose sin is it? Is it his sin or is it the sin of his parents? In other words, where can we assign blame? Who who can we blame for him being born blind? And watch what Jesus says. It's it's neither. It was neither this man nor his parents' sin, but this happened, watch this, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. There was a purpose to that pain, that God had a plan in his pain. It was a hurt that was not wasted so that God might be displayed in his life. Listen, you might not understand what it is you're going through. You might not understand. You might not see the purpose. You might not believe that there is a purpose, but God never wastes a hurt. And just because you are hurting doesn't mean he's not working. The second thing you need to remember is this. Jot this down. God is always present. He's always present in your pain. There's a purpose. Always has a purpose. And that he's always present in it. Psalm 46, one tells us God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. He is. God is. Oftentimes when we are facing trials and we are facing pain in our life, we ask God to give us something that we think we need. God, we need this. I need you to do this. When God is saying, I want, I want to be what you need. Like, I don't want you to to think of the things that you think you need, but I know what you need, and I want to be that for you. There's no greater example of this than the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was that guy who hated Christians, and um, some of you are like, I hate Christians. Well, not as much as Paul did. Paul actually killed them, and then he had this radical transformation. He has this encounter with Jesus, and he ends up doing uh, so much for the gospel, so much for the movement, planting churches, you know, helping the, the gospel spread. He's radically transformed. Um, but Paul has this thing in his life he calls a thorn. So I got this thing, this thorn in my flesh. We don't know exactly what the thorn is, but it was massively painful in his life. It was massively destructive in his life. In fact, we know that because three different times Paul asked God to remove it from him. God, take this from me. Heal me from this. Deliver me from this. And it's the same thing that many of you have been begging God to do with the hurt that's in your life. God, take this hurt from me. Take this pain away. Free me. Relieve this tragedy that's, that's in my, my life. And so you know 
right? If God's gonna do it for anyone, if he's gonna heal anyone, if he's gonna remove the thorn for anyone, it's gonna be Paul. It's gonna be this guy who did so much for the, the gospel. It's gonna be the guy who suffered greatly for it. It's gonna be the guy who was shipwrecked, who was snake bitten. It's gonna be the guy who was whipped time and time again. It's gonna be the guy like Paul who, who had been stoned almost to death and not like stoned like you took a vacation to Colorado stoned. I gotta say that. This is Elevate Church. Come as you are, don't stay that way, right? So if anybody is gonna remove a thorn for, for someone, if God's gonna do it, it's gonna be for Paul. Watch what God says, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, heal me, remove this, deliver this, fix this problem, or relieve my pain. And God says, no, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient, but God, this is what I need. And God says, you don't know what you need. My grace is is what you need, my grace is enough. And here's the thing, you can't explain this to someone. Unfortunately, you have to experience it. You have to walk through it. Try talking to someone who's experienced this unbelievable grace of God in their, their life. They're like, I can't put it into words, I can't explain it to you. Because you've experienced the times when, when Jesus has walked through you through, through unbelievable tragedy. When, when he's walked through, he's lifted, out, lifted you out of your doubts. When, when, when you had no hope and you didn't think you could go on another day, you've experienced the, the hope of, of Jesus. He, he's walked through you in those moments so you can testify that there are times when his grace is enough. That's what Paul is saying. He went on to say, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, now watch what he says, and it's like, this is crazy right here, Paul. He says, so I'm going to delight. I'm gonna take joy. I'm gonna delight in my weaknesses. I'm gonna delight when people insult me. I'm gonna delight in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. It's for when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, when I'm weak, it's when his strength is perfected in me. When I feel like I can't go on another day, when I feel like there's, there's no hope left, that's when he is present in my pain. And some of you are there. You feel like you can't make it. You feel like it's too much. You're searching for, for answers. You don't have the strength. You don't understand what's going on. But here's what you need to know. It's in those moments that you will get a divine gift from God. What is that gift? It is complete and utter dependence on God alone. It's in that moment when you embrace God's presence so that he can walk with you through whatever it is you're facing, and you can experience the peace of God in your life. God always is present in your pain. The third thing I want you to write down is this. When God doesn't seem good, when he doesn't seem fair, don't trade the unknown for the known. Don't trade all the stuff that you do know for what you don't know. Don't trade everything that you do know for asking these questions, God, why this, why that, all the stuff that, that you don't know. I don't know why God allows certain things to happen. I don't know. I don't know why there, there can be so much pain and evil and why he would heal one person but, but not the next person. I don't know. And it would be real easy for me to say, well, if I was God, I would do it differently. If I was God, 
right? Then I might make some different choices. But the reality is I don't know. And maybe one day I will find out. I will see that God had a bigger plan, a bigger purpose in all of this. So in the meantime, I'm not about to trade what I do know about God for what I don't know about God. Because here's what I do know. I know that he loves me. I know that he is with me. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I know that he rose to life on the third day. I know that he's coming again. I know that he holds me, that he lifts me up. I'm not about to trade the things that I don't know for what I do know. Amen? Don't trade it. So instead of asking God, you know, where are you? He says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm present in your pain so that you can have peace. Instead of asking God, why do bad things happen? Understand that he has a plan and a purpose in the midst of your pain. And then instead of you know, asking, I don't know this or I don't, I don't know that, understand that we get to fall back on the things that we do know and we get to rise above the things that we don't know in Jesus' name. Always fall back on the promises that you do know of God. If, you're, if your houses are anything like mine, you're stepping on toys all the time. Like, and let me ask you a question. If you're a parent, you got some little ones in the house, what is the absolute worst toy to step on barefoot? Legos. Like for the love, right? Are you kidding me? In the middle of the night, walking to the bathroom, because I gotta get up, you know, I'm getting older, and so I go to the bathroom a little bit more than I used to at night. Walking to the bathroom barefoot in the middle of the night, you step on a Lego? Mm. <laughs> I was doing some research about Legos, of course, for the sake of, you know, this lesson, not just to play around this week. Did you know that the Lego company is the world's largest toy company. And it is estimated its value at over $18 billion. This. Like, is that crazy? $18 billion. Every second, 10 Lego sets are sold. Every second. There are enough Lego figures, the little people, um, to populate Asia. That's how many there are, all right? So, like, it's this massive corporation, but it didn't start out that way. In fact, 1960, there was a fire um, at, at a, a toy factory called Lego, which means let's play. And what they had made, really, ultimately what they sold were wooden toys. But in 1960, the wooden toy factory burned to the ground. And all they had was kind of this, this idea that they were coming up with of these, these plastic blo blocks. It was the only thing that was left. And you can imagine after pouring your, your heart and soul into this business, right, all your money, you know, all your time, all your energy, and watching it burn to the ground, like how tragic that would be, how devastating that would be. So they took inventory, and they're like, what do we have left? Like, well, we got this little mold that's making these bricks. But the thing was, at the time, they could only be stuck together one on top of the other, just like that. Just one brick on top of the other. And they called them um, automatic binding bricks. That's what they were called, all right? Until they developed this three, like this tube thing in the bottom, which allowed you to stick it together in multiple kinds of configurations. How many different configurations are there? Colby, did you ask out of two bricks? That was worded weirdly. Um, did you know you could stick together two bricks? You know how many different ways? 24. 
Two bricks, 24 ways. What about four bricks? How many different configurations? A thousand. What about six bricks? 915 million. What? Like, is that crazy? I mean, Lego company figured it out. They're not selling bricks. They're selling creativity. They figured out that, that man, we're, we're selling a, a child's imagination to be able to do whatever they, they want to do. How did this company get to be an $18 billion corporation? Because there was a fire and it propelled them to something Else. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, this thing that you are going through, this thing that you are, are facing, this fire that you've experienced, this, maybe it's a, 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 a literal fire, maybe you got fired, maybe you, you went to a funeral that you never imagined in a million years you would go to. You buried a child, you buried a son or a daughter and you never should have to do that. This thing that you're going through could just be a setup, not a setback where God wants you to fall back on the things that you do, know that he'll never leave you, that he will never forsake you, so that you can rise above that which you don't know. Don't focus on the fire, but focus on the eternal reward. Know that there is a purpose for your pain. Know that there can be peace and that God is present in your pain. And at the end of the day, Fall back on what you do know so you can rise above the stuff that you don't. And I wanna share a story with you of my friend who did just that. Her name is Tammy Jo. Watch this. My name's Tammy Jo Surgeoner, and um, I've lived in Erie my whole life. I met my husband, Brad, when we were just 13 and 14. And he had started going to, his family started going to our church. The first time I ever saw him, I was in love with him. Um, it's like love at first sight. Me and my cousins were in the hallway at the church and Brad and his best friend Mike were walking down the hall and Mike was you know, trying to be all cool and he's walking down the hall and Brad stuck his foot out in front of his, in front of Mike and made him trip so he'd fall like right into us girls and I almost did and it was it was just so funny and I remember Brad just laughing so hard and I was laughing so hard and um, I, I just loved him because he was always laughing and smiling and when he um, said God I just need to know who, who you have for me um, and um, I had never dated anybody um, because I didn't want to be with anybody if it wasn't Brad it just I, I don't know, just in my spirit, you know, I just, he was the person that God had for me, and, um, and when he was, uh, praying, God told him, Tammy, he said, yeah, Tammy, what, you know, because he's like, I'm just not a friend, like a sister, or whatever, but, um, so we started dating, it was just awesome, before the year was up, he knew that we were supposed to be together, and we ended up getting married June 17, 1989, we had Trevor by 1990 in May, <laughs> um, and still weren't good at that birth control thing, and had Brooke right after Trevor, so they're only 14 months apart, but it ended up being awesome. We just had a wonderful family, um, loved doing stuff together, and Brad 
loved like taking Trevor fishing and us doing stuff outside together and being silly and having fun. When I was in my 20s, my dad got cancer. He, he passed away even though we were believing God could heal him. And he didn't. And I remember I was so mad. I was so mad at God. And I remember thinking, God, if I could leave you, I would, just because I'm just so upset. And I remembered a scripture I had read from John 6. All these people were following Jesus because he was giving them what they asked for. He was making miracles. He was healing people. He was feeding them. The next time, he gave them a different answer. He's like, the answer was, you know what? You're asking me for a miracle. You ask me for food. But tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. All these things are temporary. And you've got to realize that these miracles, these things that I do are they're pointing to me because I'm eternal. Even though I was upset that my dad didn't live, that I knew there's nowhere else to go because only he has the words of eternal life. Only running to him is how you can heal. So that was a building block in my life. And I realized that God, I hope that at some point I can understand. But if I don't, I still trust you. So no matter what trials that we run into and whatever trials we don't understand, it's because we can run to God, because we trust him, that he works it all out. When Brad was 36, um, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. By the time they found it, they told us not to expect him to live when he was 36. And I love that scripture in First Peter that says, uh, God gets the last word. Yes, he does. And um, he says that we can be strong and on our feet for good, that he'd restore us. And Brad got through it. Um, uh, but three years later, cancer came up again. He fought cancer five times. The third time, um, God actually took it away. It was a miracle. And uh, the doctors even said it was a miracle. But I was a fighter, and we were claiming God's word. So this last time when it came back, we knew God's faithful. We knew he could still do it. I mean, he even healed them. But it didn't work out this time. It passed on. Regardless if I understand why something did or didn't work out, I knew that we had done everything to set ourselves up so that God's word, which says that by his stripes we're healed, that he could be healed again. And all the things I've learned through, through Brad's life, all the times that we fought cancer and went through cancer, and I have to say this last year was the hardest year of our entire life, but it was the most beautiful. We got so close to God and learned so much um, what's really important, people and loving people. And I saw that through Brad's life. So that gives me hope. And I know that God is still with me. And uh, I know it's not the end. whole question of, you know, why would a, a good God allow bad things to happen? I think 
think sometimes we're asking the wrong question. And so if we're gonna ask, why do bad things happen to good people? We also need to ask then, why do good things happen to bad people? Because sometimes we forget, and we need to look at this through God's eyes as well, that the best thing in the world happened to us. That despite all of all the mistakes that we've made, despite all the sin that we carry, despite all the bad choices in our lives, that the best thing in the world has happened to us. And that is that God sent his son to pay for all of that. Some of you have never experienced that grace, that unbelievable grace that you get from, from the sacrifice of Jesus, something that you can't earn on your own. So before we even leave today, I wanna give you the opportunity right now to experience that grace, to turn from our sins, to turn toward God, to do what, what John the Baptist asks us to do, is to repent of our sins and point us towards Jesus, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Because here's what I do know. The Bible says that he died for you that if you believe in him, you will be saved. Here's what I don't know. Why do bad things happen? I don't know. I don't know the answers. But what I do know is that Jesus gave his life for you. And the moment you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. So let's do that right now. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I wanna offer you this simple prayer if that's you today. You need forgiveness. You need a new life in Jesus. You wanna have Jesus pay for your sins so you're not paying for them anymore, that you don't have to carry that anymore, that you can leave here with peace, that you can leave here saying it is well. If you'd say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I need to begin this relationship. It's not a religion. It's not about coming to church here. It's not a, a, about a membership thing. It's about saying, I choose to follow Jesus. And I wanna thank him for dying for me. So if that's you, if that's why you're here today, I wanna pray for you and you'd say, Colby, I'm gonna pray that right along with you. Would you raise your hand? Just hold it high. I just wanna see who's bold, who's gonna pray right here with me this morning to receive the salvation that can only be received through Jesus Christ. Awesome, you guys, awesome. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. You can put your hands down. Say something like this. The, the most important part is that you mean it. God, forgive me for my sin. I repent of all the things that I've done and I'm, and I'm believing that your son's death on the cross paid for all of it. And so right now I receive that payment. Right now I receive life and liberty in Jesus Christ. I confess him as Lord of my life. And from this moment on, I'm gonna be like Paul. I know there's gonna be trouble. I know there's gonna be hardship. I know there's gonna be pain. I know there's gonna be suffering, but I'm going to delight in it because ultimately now my eyes are not fixed on the here and now, but they are fixed on the things to come because saying yes to Jesus means now I'm a child of yours. And then I have to look forward to eternity with you. Thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now you can celebrate with those next to you guys. Come on, that made the best decision of their life today.
We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.